you stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word? Tonight we're reading from Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their masters and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So as we get into this text tonight, I just want to reiterate, I know that song's a little different, it's new for us. I sang that on a Wednesday night. Uh, because it's a song that I love, right? And uh, I've never sang it. I don't know if I've ever sang in a congregation like this, uh, but uh, I appreciate them doing it. And I, I love the song because we begin to think of the immensity of God and His greatness and and just the the way that that He is. Uh, we we think about who's held the ocean in His hands, right? Who's actually been able to do that? There's just one. Right? Who has been able to number every grain of sand in it is our God? And it's who can give counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? How do you teach the one who knows all things? And all of these things keep pointing us back to this. Behold our God. Think of, imagine him, picture him on his throne tonight, seated on his throne and to come, let us adore him, to behold and look upon our gracious King. Because nothing compares to Him. That's the song, isn't it? And that's what worship is about. And so I appreciate the song. I know it's different. I know it's one that we have to learn sometimes. And, and, but it, I appreciate it. I'm thankful that we're able to sing that tonight. Now we get into today, tonight's topic. We've already read the scriptures. And we're in Ephesians chapter 6. And it is a difficult passage. And, and I've, I've titled this sermon different times. I've taught through this a few different times. And the question really comes up to our mind is, well, what about slavery? I mean, why is it in the text, right? Why is slavery a thing in the Bible? Because we're looking at it from our position in modernity where we're going, we're looking back at history and going, what was the deal with that? Not, and, of course, the truth is there's probably more slaves right now than there ever has been in the history of the world. And there's all sorts of things that we can talk about. We get in this text, but... As we have studied in Ephesians, right, we have talked about sort of this household code. We talked about each of us being submissive and putting ourselves under the authority of the government. We talked about how we're supposed to, supposed to submit to one another. We talked about the husband and wife relationship. We talked last week about children and parents. And now this week it brings us more to this issue of slavery. We have slaves and masters. And in our modern sense, we just kind of are start screaming, right? What is going on in this text? Why is it even in here? What does this mean? Why didn't Paul just say, listen, if you're a slave, overthrow those guys and win your freedom? Those are the kind of questions that begin to pop in our mind, isn't it? And certainly we've seen plenty of movies where we think, yeah, that's, that's what we should do, right? We should overthrow these guys. And it's certainly possible because I saw it in a movie. Now, we get into this text, and here's what I want to begin to say, is we have to deal with this issue. Because slavery, 
unfortunately, has been a part of our country. It's been a part of our churches. And I mentioned that in the welcome today. The, if, if you've ever been in some of these older churches, you'll figure out they had a history with slavery. Some good, some bad. And so there were all sorts of varying positions in the meantime. Uh, I had the privilege of being at Mount Hora Baptist Church and was able to go through. Somebody had already compiled all their notes and created a history of their church, which started prior to the Civil War. The founder of that church was a missionary to the Creek Indians, and he writes about his father, who was also a pastor, and he talks about how he was, mis- they mi- was mistreated during the Revolutionary War. And so you just begin to trace all the history, and it's kind of fascinating. And their church was actually missing uh, some of their notes from the years of the actual Civil War because of the things going on, people going to fight, the disruption that happened, uh, even things with Sherman coming through and other things. So what you begin to read about is what they did is they went to the Baptist Association notes and supplied those instead of their church notes. And you begin to read the Association notes, And you can tell and you can begin to see the dilemma that is taking place in the churches as they're trying to figure out how do we address the scripture? How do we address slavery? We've grown up with it. We don't know any different. And they were actually, they had lots and lots of notes about how to better provide for and treat the slaves. And you begin to read it. And from our perspective, we're going, why do they not just free them, right? Because from this side of history, that's the question that we're asking. And some of them got there. But some of them were just struggling, what do we do with this? We're trying to wrestle with the text. And the truth is, we have to wrestle with the text as well. There's no getting around it. And we have to acknowledge that. My brother was a pastor of a, another small church in Georgia. And he, he did the same thing. They actually still had the old balcony. You guys know what those old balconies they were in for most of those, why they were there in most of those churches? Because that's where the slaves were seated when they came in. And so they would build these balconies and have separate seating based on whether you're slave or free. Now that's an interesting part of history, isn't it? Here's what's interesting from their meeting notes. You, go back, you can go back and read these notes where, where a new family has professed faith in Christ. They believe they've been baptized. And also they're the property of such and such, that was also a member of the church. That's the world they lived in that we have to wrestle with as we go to the text. Because as uh, Southern Baptists, and not, it's not even just, it's not the denomination, it's just the fact that these churches have been there prior to the Civil War. That there's a long connection going back, and we have to examine it. So as we think about Ephesians chapter 6 here, verse 5, it says, slaves, be obedient to, the, to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, though, what was slavery in the ancient world? What was the sort of slavery that was happening as Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians? Slavery was deeply ingrained. It was a widespread social institution in the ancient world. In many cases, it wasn't quite as dark as the slavery experienced here in the United States. We got, you guys know the slavery that we experienced here in the U.S. was on a whole different level than slavery that we find in some places. Now, that wasn't always the case, but often it was. So for many in the ancient world, slavery would come with it, with actually brought with it a, quite a bit of protection. 
care. Sometimes it brought prestige. And so there were a lot of different reasons sometimes that people became slaves. It was actually common for men and women to sell themselves into slavery for a number of different reasons. And and that's not the kind of slavery we think of in the U.S., is it? We don't think of people saying, well, yeah, that'd be great if I could maybe have control of this household and have a prestigious position, so I will give myself as a slave to this owner. That's not what was happening here, and it wasn't sometimes what was happening in the ancient world. So, for example, to obtain a high position in someone's house, perhaps you would be overseeing all their financial accounts, and when this was done, it was often came with a time limit on their term of slavery, so it was almost like an indentured servitude where you would agree to serve for a certain number of years. At the end of that time, you could keep your position or you could leave. It was up to you. And so sometimes you could then become a free man and hold the same position. And so in that 10 years or however long it was, you would actually advance yourself in the world. And so that was part of how the ancient world thought of slavery, at least in the Roman times. But as you go back and read history, there are also horror stories coming out of the Roman world. And so slavery in any form isn't something we think of and go, oh, yeah, that's nice, right? It's not like, you know, I just need a job. I'm going to apply for a job and go do that. That's not what slavery is because when you agree to it or you are forced into it, you suddenly have no control over your person, do you? And so we have to wrestle with that. But it begs the question, okay, why do we have a passage dealing with slaves and masters instead of, again, the command to just end slavery? Let me give you a a couple of thoughts on that before we get farther into the text. First, when Paul wrote this letter in Ephesus, was Christianity very large? It wasn't, was it? I mean, we're talking, we're still in the first century A.D. The church has, you know, it's beginning to spread, and certainly it's growing, but compared to the Roman Empire, was the church very large? It wasn't. Did they have the possibility of going out with an institution where slavery is everywhere? Do you think they had the possibility to go and demand their freedom? Even if Paul had said, listen, I want you to go down to the town square there, to the Temple of Artemis, and to wherever the governors are, and tell them, you know what? We're free now. We're not dealing with this slavery mess. How do you think that would have gone over for them? Not well, right? I mean it probably would have just ended in their deaths. Now, certainly there were in history some giant slave revolts in different places in the Roman Empire. So we're not saying it couldn't have happened, but they probably would not have been able to successfully pull off rebellion. Second, the Bible in this passage is speaking to them about their faith and obedience on a personal and a church level. In other words, he's not talking to a society at, whole, at, at large. He's not talking to a nation state. He's not going to some big entity and saying, like, you know, in the United States, you guys should free your slaves. He's not doing that. He's going to individuals who live among a great empire. And he's telling them as individuals, hey, we're talking about your faith. And so in other words, he's concerned about how they would interact, slaves and masters would interact with each other in the reality that they found themselves in. Because this was the circumstance they were, some of them, born into or had been brought into. They were stuck with it. They couldn't just get out. And so how do you then interact with 
the person that is over you if you are a bondservant or a slave in his household? That's the question that they had to answer. Now, we could talk, uh, there's a lot of other passages about slavery in the New Testament. I want to read one to you right now. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 and 24. You can turn there if you'd like. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 and 24. It says, Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Do you guys hear the dilemma that was in that? All right, here you are. You're called to Christ. You're now a new believer. And he's saying, listen, if you are, were a slave while called, do not worry about it. You know what, that, what it really means? Don't be ashamed of it. Don't think that you are suddenly less in God's kingdom because you are a slave. But it also, he's not telling them, look, go out and start a revolt, is he? But at the same time, look what he says, right, or listen to what he said right after that. Don't worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. In other words, hey, when that time as that as indentured servitude was up, when that term was up, you have a choice. Am I going to remain in this man's service? Or am I going to become a free man? And it tells them very specifically, do not become slaves of men. And so I do think for this new Christian community, there was an idea, listen, slavery is not good. In the long term, you don't want to be a slave. If you can be free, be free. But for those of you that are in this, don't be ashamed. Don't think you are less. Certainly your master is not over you when it comes to the kingdom of Christ. And he tells them that you were bought with a price, so do not become slaves of men. And I think that's important because he's telling them, you were bought in, for the kingdom. You've been reborn. You're to be about the, the work of the kingdom. How can you be about the work of the kingdom when you, if you willingly make yourselves a slave? men that's an interesting concept isn't it but i think we see the dilemma this would prohibit them from selling themselves into slavery into the future now the way that we normally find ourselves looking at this text is i think as, as we approach this normally when i hear it taught it is about the relationship between the employer and the guy that works for him right employer and employee because in our world that would probably look a little bit more like this, right? Um, but as Paul first, he addresses these slaves. And I want to I get into what he tells them, though. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. And so, you know, when we talk about submitting to the government, a lot of what was taught in there was you do right and live righteously no matter what. And you be the best citizen you can be. But in all those cases, as we talk about submission and authority, it always amounted to you do what was right. You don't, you don't let somebody tell you you must sin, right? And you can imagine in the Roman world, if you've ever studied about their ethics and morals, 
There were times where those slaves were certainly forced into sin and grave and deep and terrifying sin. And so we look at this and it says, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. That is, they might rule over your body right now. There might be nothing you can do about some of this. But you go about your life and serve as though you are serving the Lord. Because you know who is your real master. It's Christ. And it's not these slave owners. It's not, it's not anyone else. And so he tells them that you are to serve them, but you do it as though you are serving the Lord. It says, as to Christ at the end. And verse 6 says, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Again, with all these authority issues that we run into, it always comes back to you do the will of God. And if that means you speak to your master with gentleness and kindness, because that's how we're supposed to do that to each other, then you do that. And he continues to tell them, look, you go about your business. You live your life the best that you can. You live it righteously, even if that guy is not a good man. Because you look down at verse 7, says, with goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. That we know that ultimately the judge that we are looking for is Christ. That we work for him and for no one else. And so this life that we live, we live to him. So it says, render service as to the Lord, not to men. Now, our motivation, I think, matters in this. So why do you obey? Why do you work to the best of your ability? Our goal isn't just to do enough to look good, to please others. Our goal is to faithfully follow God's plan where we are at the moment. It's a spirit of integrity. This passage isn't telling you not to better yourself. It's, telling you, it's not telling you not to pursue your dream job or, or to try to better yourself in this world. It's saying to be content and faithful where you are right now recognize that you're doing it for the lord now you know he again he's addressing slaves and we think about it more in our day and some of you are thinking you guys don't know my employer right you don't know the job that i have because the way they treat me it's not right and i agree with you there's some terrible people out there the good thing is in the world we live in you can faithfully serve there and also look for another job, right? And so you're not quite as tied in. And, uh, but we also often get people with this attitude of, man, I'm just out working for the man. I, you get this constant negativity about life and work. And you begin to think, they don't realize that we're supposed to live as though we're working for our Lord, aren't we? To be faithful and be the type of men and women that we're supposed to be, to live according to the Scriptures, no matter what's going on in our lives. But yeah, it doesn't, again, of course, in modern days, like I said, we, we have the option to get a new job. And though sometimes those options are a lot less, more limited than we think. And if you're a certain time, you know, say you're close to retirement and you just know, I can't retire and, and I can't quit and get a new job right now. I've got to stick it out. Sometimes those situations arise, right? Well, what do we do when we find that our boss isn't what we hoped they would be? And the people over us aren't what we hoped they would be. Well, if he could tell slaves to be obedient to their masters, I think what he would say to us is, you serve me 
And in the process, you work hard, be the best worker you can be. But at the end of the day, you know that you're doing it for me and not for them. Because they might kind of have power over you right now, but the ultimate judge is the one to come. So again, our motivation matters. Why do we obey? Why do we work for the best of our abilities? It's to please Him. It's to please our God, not to please man. Verse 7 and 8, I think, points this out again. We just read that. So again, it says, Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. I want you to think back. When's the last time you read through the book of Daniel? I encourage you to read the book of Daniel, especially that first half. Because you read sort of the historical narrative of what happened. And he's taken off into exile. And he's suddenly put to work. But you know what Daniel was? A slave. And he's the perfect illustration of what we find in this text. Daniel was in exile. He served under multiple kings. He'd served through a regime change there in Babylon. He was a slave. He wasn't a free man. Nevertheless, what do we know about Daniel? What do we know of him? His faithfulness and his integrity. He was concerned about being faithful to God. In chapter 6, King Darius decided to appoint three commissioners to run his kingdom. So you know what happened? He suddenly gets, he decides Daniel's going to be one of these three men, the most powerful men in my kingdom. How do you think the other rulers felt about that? They were upset. You know what? They decided, you know what? We're going to get some dirt on Daniel. We're going to somehow see if we can get Daniel to get in trouble. So there he is. He finds himself there. The other influential men trying to find something on him. Daniel is, you know, they, they were hoping to find something with his work with the government, but they simply couldn't find anything. So can you imagine being a slave with so much responsibility, ability to do harm and do things for your own benefit? Think about it. Daniel had complete, he had so much power in Babylon. He could have taken advantage of it, made himself wealthy. He could have intentionally run down the kingdom, but he didn't. And so when these men come to find, hey, Daniel, what have you been doing? Let's see if we can get something. He's, surely he's been cheating on his taxes or doing something. They couldn't find anything on Daniel. So then, uh, but Daniel had integrity because he knew that he was really responsible for serving the Almighty God. He knew he was responsible for serving his God and not for serving King Nebuchadnezzar and the other kings of Babylon. So this is, listen to what these men said. So they come to Daniel, they come up, they get together, and they say, Then the commissioners and the satraps begin trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. No negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Do you hear that? They finally said, you know what? He's been working for the kingdom. And we can't find anything that this man has done wrong. And so we can't find any way to accuse him except for what? The way he served God. And we know the rest of the story, right? Where they got it forbidden to pray to anyone but Nebuchadnezzar. And you know what it said right after that Daniel was doing? Praying three times a day like he always did. 
And you guys know they made that rule because they knew. Daniel prays every day, three times a day. We know he goes in there and he prays. And so they knew they could catch him. May that be said of us in our work relationships. That we served and worked to the best of our ability wherever we found ourselves. That at the end of the day, nobody could come and say, man, that guy's just, he's, he's been embezzling money. He's been intentionally cutting corners. He's been, uh, long story, I, I go back. but So I, I worked for maintenance department right after I graduated high school, right? And I learned a lot of lessons that summer working with some of those guys. The main one was the same. Eight hours is eight hours. Doesn't matter what you accomplish in eight hours. You can get a lot done. You can get a little bit done. Doesn't matter. As long as the boss doesn't see you. And so they would, they would keep track. I learned that they would keep track on their radios of where the boss was, which school he was at, where he was at. And so you knew, all right, we're taking it easy. And me and the other young guys, we'd get so bored that we'd just go back to work. But those guys that had been there a long time, unfortunately, that their mindset was, you know, eight hours is eight hours. We're just going to get through it. You know how wrong that is? And I'm not saying they had great jobs. I'm not saying that, that it was all it was cracked up to be. I'm not even going to go back and condemn those guys. But what I am saying is that's not what we find in the text, is it? It says instead, let's serve and do it as though we are serving the Lord. Let's be the best workers that we can be. In this text, Paul shifts his teaching right after this. He, he goes from teaching about how the slaves were to react to the masters. Look down at verse 9, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their masters and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So he switches and he goes, you know what, there's some Christians now who they believe they've come into the church, and we still wrestle with this because I still want to know, honestly, why he didn't just say, hey, Masters, let your slaves go free. I don't know why he didn't say that here, but he doesn't. Again, with the social constructs of the day, I think there were some things they just didn't understand and weren't capable of doing yet. But what does he tell them to do? He says, give up. He says, do the same things to them. You render service to them as though to me. You continue to help them. You are supposed to keep yourselves with fear and trembling. You are supposed to work as to the Lord. And the masters are supposed to do the same thing and to give up threatening. He doesn't let them off the hook. Just as we think, as we talk about wives and husbands, when it talks about wives submitting their husbands, it doesn't let their husbands off the hook and it goes right back into teaching about them. So if you're an employer, you have people under your authority, guess what? You have to consider them as well. And at the end of the day, we have a judge, and who is he? Christ. He says there's no partiality. He sees what master and slave does. And so no one escapes giving an account before him. And so can you imagine being a, a Christian slave owner in that day? I can't. I, I really can't. But he, they had to wrestle with the fact that God is impartial. And God sees. And he'd, Jesus had already taught 
one who wants to be the greatest among you? Well, he's got to serve the others, right? And suddenly that teaching is coming full force on these men who are masters. Now, uh, I won't read all these. You can write them down if you want to go read them on your own, and I think they're, it's a, a good thing to do. Other passages in the New Testament concerning slavery. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. There, again, we, we see the relationship between them. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. Also there, they are, we see that slaves are to obey their masters. Whatever they are to do, they are to work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. We already read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but if you go look 1 Corinthians 7, chapter, verses 19 through 24, it talks uh, more extensively about slavery. It's the passage we read earlier. Listen, if you can become free, be free. One passage I would like us to consider very briefly, I know we don't have a lot of time, is Philemon. You know, with time, I probably should not get into this. Philemon chapter, well, there's no chapters. Philemon verse 10 through verse 20. He's dealing, and the reason I'm asking you to read this on your own later, is he's dealing with a slave who had run away, who has now become, has been working for him, and Paul is sending him back, but he really lays it on thick with this guy. So I want you to hear just what he says as we kind of close this out. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. By the way, Onesimus just means useful. That's what his name means. Great name, isn't it? Useful. But he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to me and you. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister me in, the, in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but by your own free will. Stop there for a moment. You hear what he's kind of laying on him? He's saying, listen, Onesimus now, this is someone I, I love. I love this guy. He is now like my son. I realize he was useless to you because he has fled from you. But now he's useful to me. And I really wanted to keep him here with me to serve me on your behalf. In other words, it'd be like you saying, oh, I sent my servant to help you, Paul. And he tells him this and he says, um, he says, I sent him back to you in person that is sending my very heart. You know, Paul's kind of letting him Listen, I'm sending this guy back to you. I love this guy. And don't you mess with him. Verse 14, without your consent, though, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but by your own free will. I'm so happy that you decided to let him be in my service. But I didn't want it to be without your free will, you know. So I'm sending him back to you so you can send him back to me. And he's really kind of letting them know this. Verse 15 says, For perhaps for this reason, he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh 
and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. I'll just finish it. Right after that, verse 18. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me, owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is telling him, look, here's what I want you to do. You take him back as a brother, as a free man, perhaps not even as. In other words, I want you to set this man free. He says, if he owes you anything, who does he charge it to? Me, charge it to me, Paul. And he says, oh, and I want to remind you, you owe me your very self. In other words, you owe me. That guy is now free. He's our brother in Christ. You're not his master. And. He really is trying to get this man to understand that and to set him free of his own free will, right? But you see also how Paul is really, again, pushing that. And I, I think it's important on how I see, I think as things developed, certainly among the church, there was going to be more of a push to begin to free those who are in slavery and for them to begin to not take on new slaves. And the world was going to begin to change a little bit. But guys, we live in an evil fallen world and things still happen and we have to wrestle with that uh, i look back and i go how did churches not recognize the evil the slavery that happened in this world and then i look at today and i go how do we not acknowledge that killing unborn children is a heinous treasonous sin against the lord and then you look at things like sex trafficking and human trafficking around the world today, and you go, how do people not see it? Because when you grow up in things, when you grow up around it, you put on the blinders. And my prayer is that as we, are, as we go through the, our lives, we would continue to examine this world we live in by the Scriptures, that God would show us the sins that we don't even recognize right now. Because it's possible there's things that we have missed. We've seen the, the scandal in the Southern Baptist Convention, right? But somebody missed it. And we have to be on top of it and know what is right based on the Scriptures. We don't have a lot of time left, so I'm going to go ahead and, and bring us into our time of invitation. Maybe... In our work environment, our attitude is not where it needs to be. Maybe even as we're retired, we have to remember, right? Christ is calling us to live this life for Him, to render service to others, to treat others as we, as though we are talking with Him and as though we are serving Him and working for Him. And so maybe tonight in this invitation, you need to tell Him, Lord, I need to fix my heart on this. And I want to live as though I'm serving you. Come and do that tonight. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to read the, your word. And Father, I pray that if there are sins hidden in our culture, hidden in our church that we don't recognize, Father, I pray that you would make them apparent to us. And whatever it may be, whatever wherever we may find ourselves on those issues, God, I pray that we would have the courage to look in the Bible, to look in your word and see what it says 
and then change our lives accordingly. Father, I pray for those that are still affected by these issues today. Father, we pray against human trafficking. We pray against all the issues of this world. But Father, ultimately, we, we just ask that you would help us to live for you. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.